Hi, everyone. This is Brad Thomas with The Ground Up. I'm back again with another C-suite interview. And today we've got two of the uh, uh, executives on the team here at Innovative Industrial, ticker symbol IIPR. Um, I'm honored and uh, pleased today to have Paul Smithers, the CEO, as well as Kat Hastings, the CFO. So Paul and Kat, welcome to The Ground Up. Hey, thanks, Brad. Good to be back. You got it. Well, um, there's a lot that's happening, especially in your sector. Uh, that's the cannabis sector. So remind the audience, uh, this is the uh, what uh, innovative IIPR invests in cannabis-related properties, uh, and not just industrial properties, but even you've got a, a few retail. So Paul, can you talk a little bit about just the portfolio in general and kind of what you're investing in today? Sure. We've got um, 68 properties now across 18 different states. So we've got a nice geographic uh, dispersion. Um, we do primarily invest in large grow and processing cannabis facilities. And these are large facilities, often, you know, two, 300,000 square feet. Um, we do have some retail. We have about 10 uh, retail dispensaries as well, but the majority of the portfolio is in the larger uh, grow and processing uh, facilities. Okay. So, I want to talk kind of, I guess, cut to the chase a little bit in terms of, you know, there's been some news recently on the Safe Banking Act, and uh, which has obviously been a political uh, piece of that uh, coming down the tracks. Of course, it's been around a while, um, but your business model, again, you're, you're, able, you're able to acquire properties at, a, at low double digit cap rates. Um, obviously, you're deploying that into those, into those assets. Um, and then uh, generating pretty significant investment spreads, uh, you, you know, you have no 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 leverage per, per se on those uh, on those properties. So, can you talk a little bit about your business model? And, and I guess you know the question that's out there for everybody is how sustainable are these investment spreads given the Safe Banking Act uh, noise that uh, we're seeing here lately? Sure, and you know, Brad, since we started this company, you know, a little over four years ago. The federal government has always been a big factor in what's the future going to look like, because I, I really can't think of another industry that is so um, reliant on what the federal government's going to do or not do. So, you know, we've had a great run. Um, you know, when we started the company, the threat was that the federal government um, with Attorney General Jeff Sessions under Donald Trump was going to come in and really uh, be aggressive and, and uh, really affect the industry in a negative way. That hasn't happened. Um, we certainly haven't seen it. Uh, and we don't think with the new AG, uh, Merrick Garland, that we're gonna have any problem at the federal level. So the question now is, what's the legislation gonna look like uh, at the federal level? And you're right, uh, the Safe Banking Act uh, has really gotten the most attention. Uh, and the Safe Banking Act is really focused on uh, giving some coverage to those operators that want to bank and take the cash element out of the industry. And that's why it's really had bipartisan support uh, in the past, because people understand we got to get the cash out of the industry. So what safe banking doesn't do, it doesn't reschedule or deschedule cannabis or legalize it. So it's really focused on just what the banks do. So it was reintroduced uh, last week into the House, which everybody expected. And, you know, we get a lot of headlines about it reintroducing a bill, but, you know, hundreds of bills are introduced every Congress. Uh, and that really was very expected, no new news. So the question is, how does it become law? What's the path to get there? When's it going to get there? Uh, we are of the opinion that it's going to be a much longer 
uh, path than some other people might might think. And the reason is a couple of reasons. One, we really have a divided Democratic caucus right now. Half of the Dem Democrats in the House want to do big reform. They want to reschedule, deschedule cannabis, legalize it. The other half say, no, that's never going to get through the Senate. So let's do some bits and pieces. Let's do the Safe Banking Act. That is the easiest thing to get through. And we're going to float that. Not so fast. We get over the Senate. We still have a 50-50 divided Senate. And um, the new uh, banking chair in the Senate, Sherrod Brown, just came out this weekend with a very forceful statement that he said, I am not going to pass safe banking through my committee until it has some social equity, prison reform, some of those other things that are not attached to the bill. So you think the Democrats are, have the House, have the Senate, have the White House is going to be a smooth path. No, it's not. So there we've seen a lot of, lot of pushing back between both the Senate uh, Democrats and the House Democrats. Senate's going to have their own version of safe banking probably introduced this week. Um, but then, of course, whatever that bill is going to finally look like, it has to get to a Senate vote. And they're in, you know, absent of filibuster reform, they still need 60 votes, 10 Republican votes. That's not a sure bet. So when is it going to happen? Not this, not this year, maybe next year, maybe with this Congress. And then I think, you know, Brad, what you ask about what, when we do have safe banking, how's it going to affect the business? We don't think it's going to affect us uh, that much. You know, the reason why is with safe banking, it does not, as I mentioned, does not change the, the federal prohibition against cannabis. And it's, we're, we're told that the big banks, the Wells Fargo's, the cities, the B of A's are not going to come rushing into the space while, it's, while cannabis is still federally uh, illegal. So we don't think there's going to be a ton of capital coming in. We might see some localized lenders, uh, some lending from kind of the regional banks, the SNLs, the credits uh, might come in and, and do some lending, but we don't think anything is going to significantly move the needle. Yeah. And, and, you know, I think we talked about this last time, but, you know, a lot of your business model is really predicated on your, you know, your core uh, portfolio. So you've got existing customers that are in place and you're, you're transacting additional opportunities for expansions for new facilities. So can you talk a little bit about that? Because what I don't see is a mad rush uh, this year or next year from the, your customers over to the banks. Um, I think you, you, you appear to have built a pretty sticky business model with customers that are going to follow you uh, into the future. So can you touch on that a little bit? Sure. So, yeah, and you're right. I mean, it's been great. So, you know, we, the, the industry itself has had just tremendous growth. Um, you know, we had 50% growth uh, year over year in 2020. It's expected to double that up in excess of 40 billion uh, by 2025. So you're right. Our operators understand that they need that they need the growth capital and they've come back to us on many occasions uh, for, for expansion dollars in the existing facilities or, you know, they're in an M&A mode and they're out there acquiring assets and they come to us for that capital. We have that great relationship with these MSOs that we've developed over the years. And we think that's, you know, we're, we're partners and they come to us for their capital needs. And we just see that uh, going forward as this industry just continues to grow. And Kat, I know you've 
has some ideas in that as well. Yeah, I think I think there's a lot of education that still that the, the big banks would need to understand about the industry. Obviously, a cultivation facility um, has some specialized infrastructure that goes into the building. We understand that we can value that and working with those operators, they're appreciative of the fact that we understand this asset um, class very well and are able to um, to to fund um, much of that infrastructure in, into those assets that we own. Um, I think it's important to, you know, for the for the operators also that they know that we can raise capital and um, partner with us into the future when they do have these expansion needs. Um, adding uh, square footage to an existing um, building that we already own with them or um, continuing to build out existing structures as well as Paul was saying, partner, partnering with them as they enter new states. All of that um, uh, relationship I think becomes really important um, for uh, when the operators are looking at different alternatives and certainly see us as, as a leader um, in, in helping them expand to where they've been today. Great. Now, I want to talk about that, if we could, that expansion. So currently, do you see any states that have opened up that are appealing for your expansion? And can you touch on that pipeline? I don't know if you've provided guidance for 2021. If so, what is that or what, where, what does your pipeline look like for uh, this year? We haven't uh, uh, specifically uh, offered any guidance, but, you know, I can tell you that, you know, from the election last year, you know, with, with, uh, New Jersey, Arizona going recreational with uh, Mississippi uh, doing medical. It's really had a domino effect and as we thought it would. And, you know, it, New York is this close to getting their medical, uh, pardon me, their recreational use through. Uh, obviously the governor Cuomo has some other issues dealing with, but maybe that gets through this week. Um, we're really looking at, you know, 11 different new states coming on with both medical and rec. Uh, in the next uh, 12 to 24 months, you know, some really interesting states. So, you know, we got, you know, Texas, South Carolina, um, Alabama is coming in, uh, you know, then when New York on the rec side, Connecticut, Rhode Island, New Mexico, Virginia, I mean, it's, it, it's expanding and it, it's fun to watch. And have, have, have the cap rates been fairly consistent uh, up through the fourth quarter of 2020? I know seems that last year we saw, you know, ranges of around, you know, 10, 11, 12%. Is that fairly consistent today with what you're seeing in the market? You know, I think so. Um, and, you know, we, we're really looking at some of the MSOs, the top four, if you will, top five or six. You know, they're doing real well. And, and they're public and they've announced their earnings. And they're in a position now where they can demand a little bit a little better money. They're, they're a better credit risk and, and they're taking advantage of that. But there's many operators uh, that aren't there yet that, you know, we still are enjoying those, you know, you know, low teens, you know, 11 to 14 type numbers with those operators. Uh, so we're, we're seeing that in, in the pipeline. It's, it's, it's great. Great. If we could touch on the, the capital, how are you growing the business? Uh, Again, we touched on the fact that your company has very little low debt. Uh, so how are you primarily funding this through equity? Do you have any other sources of capital that you uh, are looking to? And at some point, do you look at, at increasing your leverage uh, in the future? No, that's, that's a great question. And 
it's one I think that's evolved, you know, over the four years that we've been in business. I mean, really starting out, we only had equity. We have an extremely small preferred um, stock out there. We added in in 2019, a convertible note. Um, and uh, we've been um, very active with our ATM program. Last year in November, we re-upped it for a $500 million uh, capacity and uh, used about half of that uh, through the end of, of the year. You know, we, we with the cannabis um, affiliation, it tends to limit um, somewhat what, what opportunities we have that are different from traditional REITs. So we don't have access to the large warehousing line of credit that a, a traditional REIT would be able to acquire properties and then raise capital to pay it down. So, you know, when we have raised capital, we are, are obviously looking for every alternative that we can and trying to get the, the best cost of capital at that time. You know, we continue to, to be, um, you know, to really uh, be thrilled with how common stock has, has reacted and to be able to grow this large with, with essentially no secured debt today. You know, that strong balance sheet really sets us up well for the future. Um, so today, you know, we have $250 million of, of cash available that we've raised that we haven't committed for future acquisitions. We have uh, great opportunities with, with common stock continuing to raise through the ATM uh, convertible market. So we, we feel like having these alternatives uh, to be able to address the pipeline and raise capital when we need is, is, um, you know, sets us up for a great position. Great. And I think I was looking, looks like the last deal that I saw that you announced was a deal in uh, Florida, uh, 295,000 square feet or 23.8 million for a subsidiary of Harvest Health. Uh, can you talk about that transaction? Was that an existing relationship you had or is that, is that a new relationship? So Harvest, um, we were actually thrilled for them to um, acquire one of our other operators um, uh, so we've, we've been talking to them for quite a while, but adding them into the portfolio, I think was extremely, you know, um, great to, you know, we're always looking to add, add new names to the portfolio. And so that was, uh, a, a great, um, partnership for us to really start out, um, in, in Florida as well. You know, we've been tracking them for a long time and, um, you know, with as many, uh, 22 operators in the portfolio today. Finding strong names like that, you know, was was um, was really exciting for us. I see another one, holistic. I guess in LA, it's about twenty-four million all in. So I know I know they're fairly lumpy, but do you have? Is that? I'm just kind of looking at your kind of your average acquisition. Is that is that fairly consistent? Roughly, it looks like twenty million. At least those last couple I see are around twenty million dollars each. Is that kind of what you're seeing in the marketplace? I think it's, it depends. You know, we've, we've done um, amendments that are in excess of $30 million to existing, um, prop, you know, existing uh, portfolio properties. So it really depends on the state. It depends on the cultivation facility itself, what types of improvements have been added in. Many times we'll do an initial acquisition and then um, provide additional uh, build-out dollars for them that we tend to fund um, you know, over, you know, uh, six to 12 month time frame as they're building out the cultivation facility. So I think on average, um, 20 to 30 million is usually what we'll look at for the cultivation. Um, but it really depends on, you know, the makeup of, of what the building looks like and, and the infrastructure that's gone in. Great. 
And I'm just, uh, I guess the last question I want to ask you all is the, you know, 2020, I mean, still had very strong growth, over 50% based on my data that I'm looking at. Um, but also, you know, analyst expectations are still, uh, you know, uh, 39% growth. I'm looking at an AFFO analyst growth number for 2021. So definitely strong pipeline uh, or, you know, growth forecast, I guess uh, you should, I should say. Um, dividend yield right now is about 3%. So, you know, definitely uh, a lot of total return opportunity. I guess my question would be, you know, kind of going back to, we've seen this in the prison sector where, you know, another very volatile sector that we've seen out there. One of the companies went, uh, went, went back to C-Corp. Uh, the other one is, is still in a REIT space, but I'm just curious you know, if you were a private company, I mean, you're paying out about a 3% yield right now. Um, you know, if, if obviously as a public company, you've, you've performed extremely well, uh, we're glad you're in the public market, but I'm just curious, you know, how you would perform, you know, if you were not public, if you were private, um, you know, would, would, would you still, I guess, st still have those, uh, you know, that those, those investors would, would be interested in that, in that platform if you weren't so volatile and more of a private vehicle? I don't know, that's a tough one. I mean, you know, I, I do know if we were private, our G&A would come down significantly based on the cost of being a public company. Sure. Um, I don't know, it, it's, it's an interesting uh, question. You know, would we still get the interest uh, you know, without the liquidity in the market, you know, investors can't come in and out perhaps as easily. and Certainly, I think our New York Stock Exchange listing, you know, is, is one of our, our key elements that, to our success and really attracting institutional investors as well as retail investors who, you know, have that liquidity and ability to come in and out. Yeah, yeah. I, think, I think being a public company and being listed has really allowed the retail component of, of investors, just individuals who want to come in and buy the stock. We've had a lot of organic growth with that, and it's a, it's a great way for for private investors to also um, uh, you know, participate in the story as well. I think our execution um, has been you know, really um, amazing and um, having that public listing is allowed to certainly raise capital very quickly and allow us to grow um, even, even more so. Um, but it's, you know, it's, a, it's a difficult um, thought to see, you know, to, to understand what it would have been like if we had just been private. I, I still think um, the uh, management team and the ability to to close the transactions certainly still would have attracted a lot of institutional interest. But um, yeah, I think being public has has uh, been a great part of the story as well. Yeah. No. Well, again, in in in, in fairness, I mean, the prison reads obviously at least uh, the one company we covered, Core Civic, um, they didn't have you know they they. You know, required leverage to operate their business model. And when the banks, the big banks pulled out Wells Fargo and the others, um, you know, that created a, a much larger layer of complexity for them to raise capital. The good thing is you don't, re you don't require those banks, you know, you don't need those banks and you're, you're able to operate and run a successful business, you know, without, without that leverage. In fact, that's, that's really, I think one of the, your competitive advantages, in fact, is the fact there. And again, I, I agree with uh, Paul, what you said about, you know, I think that there's going to be eventually, you know, kind of this, this kind of day of reckoning in the banking sector, but, you know, you've already built, you know, your first mover advantage, you've already built a very significant pipeline. 
And these underlying assets are, are very high quality. I mean, we've seen a number of these properties that you've invested in, and they're, you know, they're essentially, a lot of them are industrial type properties, which have, you know, considerable value, even, even if the, you know, laws do change or shift. Um, and you could, to your point, Cat, uh, uh, you know, increase leverage. I mean, I think your investment spreads um, could continue to be at the same kind of levels that you're at today. And by the way, you know, that forecast for 2021, I mean, it's, as I said, it's uh, 30, 39% potential growth, uh, you know, uh, in terms of um, on an AFFO basis. So um, I guess last, lastly, what are you seeing out there in terms of your, you know, I know the pipeline's out there, but I mean, are, are you seeing that deal flow? Again, I know you're not trying to, you know, provide you with any guidance at any, anything, but, uh, you know, I guess the key to that is, are you able to deploy this capital and do you feel pretty good about, you know, the opportunity set that you see right now? Uh, yeah, Brad, we, we feel real good about it. And what's, what's really encouraging is we're getting interest from a lot of different sectors. You know, as mentioned, you know, with the existing portfolio, um, with the large MSOs, you know, they're expanding. They see what's coming, especially in those states that are going to uh, adopt a recreational program. They need expansion dollars. A lot of these guys are in M&A mode. Uh, and, you know, they're going to tap their real estate uh, to get capital for the acquisitions. And we don't want to forget these single state operators that are coming up in the new states. And that's really exciting for us. That's, that's what I love personally. I love talking to these new guys, you know, getting comfortable with them. And th this is how we started the business, you know, four years ago. There was really no such thing as an MSO really four years ago. So we were doing these single state operators. So with these new states coming on, we're looking at those guys too. So we see a lot of different channels coming into the pipeline, which is, which is really exciting for us. So we're roughly a market cap of around 4.3 billion. Do you think you can get to 10 billion? You know, I answer that, Brad, by looking at the growth in the industry. And, you know, if we like to say if this was a baseball game, we're probably, you know, somewhere between the second and third inning as far as growth. So um, if you do the math, yeah, it's the opportunities out there to, to just keep growing. And, you know, again, it depends what the federal government's going to do. You know, if, if the federal government legalizes cannabis tomorrow and opens up banking, you know, that changes the landscape. We don't think that's going to happen, you know, if at all. I mean, we could have the States Act, uh, which actually President Biden favors, to come in and, and the federal government may just wash their hands of it and say, State, states, you do what you need to do without federal interference. And actually, you know, we think that's uh, the most likely path to legalization, if you will. And we're not, you know, who knows what the national banks are going to do with that. So to your point, could, yeah, there, there's tremendous growth still left in this industry and with our company. Great. Well, uh, Paul and Kat, I want to thank you both for uh, for joining me. Very helpful uh, here, I'm sure, to the viewers as well. So uh, look forward to uh, circling back here again uh, after first quarter. Our pleasure. Thanks, Brad. Great Thanks, job. Brad. Thank you all. Bye-bye. Take care.